0: Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West.
1: And you're listening to As I Am.
0: Lisa. I am Indonesian of Chinese descent and Italian. Being mixed race can be confusing. I've grown up experiencing some white privilege, and on the other hand, I've experienced certain prejudices and stereotypes of also being Asian. I do have the best of both worlds, though, in the sense that I have access to two amazing cultures and, of course, some great food. However, being mixed plays on my sense of identity in that sometimes I feel that I'm not fully part of my culture, as I am, as people say, only half and not knowing where and how I truly belong. At times it can feel like I'm the odd one out, whether it is because of my looks or because I'm not Asian enough or not white enough. But most of the time I just feel so lucky to have a connection to so many different people and communities. What I'm learning is that being mixed does not mean that I'm half and half. It means that I am both.
2: Hi, my name is Joshua Sim and I am a Singaporean born Pranakan Chinese and Goan Indian. To me, being mixed race is both a curse and a blessing, a curse in the sense that you never truly find yourself belonging to a certain group, identity, culture, or ethnicity or race, but also a blessing on the other hand, because of our inability to attach ourselves to a certain identity or belong to one, it gives us the capacity or capability, uh, I guess, to create our own new sense of identity, our own new culture by taking elements or not taking elements of our cultures and creating one cohesive identity instead. And I think that this ability to form new understandings of identity, of culture, of behavior and of normality is what pushes cultures forward.
3: Hey there, my name's Joy and put simply, I'm half Asian, half white. To be a bit more specific, I'm a mix of Malaysian, Chinese, Hungarian, and British. I remember when I expressed interest being involved in this, I actually spent quite a bit of time wondering whether I even should, um, which I actually think came from a place of guilt, something I've been feeling particularly lately um, about thinking that I'm a person of colour when my own lived experience has benefited immensely from my whiteness. And I know I don't look it because, believe me, I've been asked my very fair share of, what's your background? But it's pretty easy to forget when you're considered white enough. That being said, though, I guess I am discounting the differential treatment I've received, my Chinese name, my culture fluid tendencies, and more than anything, being mixed race shapes who I am. And when I'm not thinking too deeply about white privilege and my place in it, I'm really proud and grateful for my mixed heritage.
4: Hi, my name is Skye and I'm half Chinese and half Croatian, but born and raised in Australia. Being mixed race means a few things to me, some positives, but also some hardships. So firstly, the positives, I get the best of both worlds. My life is enriched by having exposure and understanding of two plus cultures. Another thing is the food, obviously, and then also the fact that I can relate to and connect with so many different types of people. And then lastly, the language opportunities. Even if you can't speak it fluently, it's a skill and an ability that helps you understand another culture. And it's also great for the resume. In terms of hardships, a few things come to mind. The first is identity crisis. So who am I and how do I view my cultural and ethnic identity in relation to others? The second is belonging. So where do I belong? And the fact that by being mixed race, I will never be fully accepted into Western communities and also never be fully accepted into Asian ones as well. White privilege is another tricky one for me as being mixed race, I understand and I've experienced both sides of the spectrum. And then lastly, which is probably the hardest for me personally, is balancing both cultures. I've grown up within a society that values individualism. However, I've also grown up to possess Chinese values of which sometimes dictate what I do in life and what decisions I've made thus far. It's a frustrating internal tug of war that I struggle with on a daily basis, and it's exhausting because in the end, I feel like I will either have to live with the guilt of knowing that my family are not happy with the personal decisions I make in my life or the alternative that I live with the regret of not living the life I want for myself.
1: Hi, I'm Tim, and I describe myself as Korean-Australian, with my Korean heritage coming from my mum's side, and my Anglo-Australian heritage coming from my dad's side. Being mixed race means having two different cultural backgrounds, both of which I don't completely fit into because of the way I look. Even though I identify as an Australian because I was born here, I find that I'm frequently pigeonholed as just Asian by white Australians. Similarly, I went to Korea last year, and many Koreans didn't recognise that Korean heritage, even when I was with my mum. Although this used to affect me when I was younger, I now have a stronger sense of my own cultural identity, and I'm proud of my diversity. I love the opportunity that my background has given me to explore and learn from two very different cultures, which I think gives me a unique perspective and has ultimately had a huge impact on me becoming the person who I am today.
5: I'm Chinese-Australian. And being mixed race is a huge source of pride. And as much as I can, I, I want to embrace both sides of my culture. But with two somewhat conflicting cultural backgrounds, I find myself experiencing a lot of guilt. And it's probably mostly guilt around the fact that I'm able to pick and choose the aspects I like about each culture. And I think a lot of this guilt also stems from a really strange family dynamic too. I'll often wake up to long texts from my Chinese mother saying she feels hurt and isolated in her own family. You know, she wants to renounce her Australian citizenship or she wants to return home to China. And it's hard to show my mum that I love being Chinese and I wish I could adopt Chinese culture and values more easily, but I've grown up in Australia my whole life and there's some things that I can't de-Australian myself from. I am mixed race. My mum is Filipino and my father is Australian. To me, I think that being mixed race means having one foot in both camps to some extent. But as I've grown older, I think I've really tried to embrace my heritage and discover what it means for me. As my grandfather is getting older, I find he speaks less and less English. And as my mother never taught us our regional dialect, I struggle to communicate with him. I've actually started watching a lot of YouTube videos by Filipinos and trying to learn some of our dialect just to connect to him a little bit more. I think for me being able to grapple with the mix of my mixed race is all about piecing together these elements of my family, of their legacy and how I want that to fit into my own identity. Like I think about everything that my grandpa has done and it makes me want to explore my Filipino side and understand more about his
0: culture so that I can feel closer to him as well as my mother and my extended family. So what you just heard are the wonderful submissions that some of our listeners sent through detailing their mix as well as what being mixed race means to them. And Jeff and I are actually super excited to sit down today with two of our friends, Jess and Will, to actually unpack this experience. Thank you so much, you guys, for coming today. How are you both?
6: Yeah, well thanks, Isabella.
7: I'm Barry how. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's dive right in. Will and Jess, tell us the worst guess
7: someone has made at your mix. Mm-hmm. Jess, let's we'll start with you. <laughs> yeah. So I love that question when people ask, like, what are you? Like you're some zoo sort of <laughs> yeah. animal rather than human being. <laughs> but um, <laughs> To answer that question, when I was like traveling in Morocco with my partner, uh, a lot of people assumed I was Moroccan. So I received a lot of um, disapproving sort of comments and reactions from people because there were expectations of what a Moroccan woman should um, behave and look like Mm. and react. So I think that was probably the worst um, guess someone's ever made. What about you, Will? Mm.
6: Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I get Greek a lot. I get Greek a lot. Really? Um, but Is it yeah, a Peter yeah, The whole time. Shout out to Peter. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> shout out to Peter. But I think also because of the long last name starting with a P. Yeah. So yeah, people just think you know it's it's like a Papadopoulos or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. They see the P. They see the length and they're like mm. Greek. Um, but yeah, it turns out that Jeff actually thought you know after knowing me for how long have we known each other, Jeff? Like, uh, we we played cricket
1: together. In 2009, and that was the first
6: time we ever met. Good year, great, great, great cricket, great cricket season. We did 2009.
0: He go to school
6: together. Yeah, yeah in like 2000. But he, yeah, yeah. But then he left because oh. was a trainer. So yeah, 10, 10 plus years, and, and Jeff thought that I was half Indian this whole time. Literally
1: <laughs> until about a, a month ago when I asked yeah, Isabella. that's a,
6: That's a puzzler. (laughs) I don't know. But there there you go. I mean, yeah. Mixes can be hard to... uh, I
1: apologise. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's completely completely my fault.
0: (laughs) Well, to segue then, what is your actual mix? And to follow on from that, what does being mixed race mean to you? I'll handball that to you first, Will.
6: Yeah, sure. Um, So my mix is um, half Anglo. My mum is from uh, Malaysia. Her family's from Malaysia, but they're of Chinese ethnicity. I actually really enjoy the experience of being mixed race. I think it gives you kind of like the best of both worlds, mm. if I can say mm. it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, yeah, I, I mean it's it's almost like you get to be uh, Asian when it suits you and white when it suits you, which is not great. Mm. It's not like I don't want to take it. It's not something that I take yeah. advantage of. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's nice in that way. But it's also um, I guess negative in a way as well, in that you don't fully fit in with. Mm either um, race, I guess, or or Mm. side. Um, I don't know, Jess, do you you feel the same way?
7: Yeah, I definitely feel like you exist in kind of this weird space where um, your cultural experience and identity is really based on your physical looks. And so in some ways you can get away with, um, you know, some days I can play up the Chinese side if I, you know, say a few phrases in Cantonese and Mandarin mm. or show a picture of my mother but at the same time <laughs> my whiteness um and my likeness to sort of the main stream Australia um gives me a lot of privilege as well so it's this weird yeah. space where you're you're only because you're half you can people only expect you to identify with half of the cultural identity mm. um but yeah it is a weird experience where your cultural identity is really tied to your physical
1: look Mm -hmm. No, that's really interesting. So you guys just heard the recordings from all our beautiful fans who uh, took the time to send those in. And one of the key themes that we identified was that dichotomy between, and you two have both talked to it already, that privilege, but also that prejudice and sort of being able to benefit from white privilege whilst also simultaneously being othered because technically um, you're half and half and you know, you were saying, Jess, it's very much based on your looks. So how do, you, mm. how do you sort of go about navigating that space? How does it make you feel? Like, do you think about it often?
7: I think in some ways there's a privilege because white people have had the experience, they feel comfortable to talk about race with me. Like, is it racist mm. if I do this? Mm. Whereas I wouldn't necessarily do that with someone like my mother. So mm. I think there's that privilege where there's a position where you feel that you need to, like you can educate people because you're kind of meeting them in the middle. Um, mm. So I think there is that, but it does become a bit of a burden. So it's up to you whether you feel that you should, should educate. But I feel like because I've had that privilege and my mum's really made me aware of the privilege I, ha- privilege I have, even the fact that I'm a pre-service teacher now. Like students are never going to be racist to me because they can't really pinpoint where my race is or what mm. I am. Whereas like my mum deals with racism working in a school and it's just so small things as well. Like I think it's in terms of my experience of being othered it's so different to the experience my mum has of being um, racially abused here. So I think it is kind of reconciling the two but it really depends on the context. Like in China, I really loved being, I really like being mixed race. There's terms for it. Like I say, I'm, I'm a Wang who I'm mixed blood and people mm. know what that means. Whereas in Australia, I think it's new and it's still we're still learning a bit about
3: it. Mm.
0: What I find, just to touch on that point, what I find really fascinating about, I guess, what I've seen how about how Asians in Asia perceive mixed race people yeah. is that it's seen as like wow, like yeah. that is it's almost like something to be bewildered about, or at least it's something that. They take, they kind of regard in high esteem. Yeah. Like I know, especially um, in Vietnam, you know, you, if you see people who are like, oh, like mixed French or like whatever, there's like some French blood in them because you know, mm. years of colonialism and whatnot. That's seen as something that's a good thing because yeah. it's almost as if, wow, you've got some European in you. Yeah. And like this love and this kind of idea that that is better or at least yeah. it elevates you to, like, I guess, yeah. your social standing in Asia, which is quite fascinating. Because um, that, is definitely not the case in Australia and I don't think that's something you guys would feel here would you
6: yeah I don't know I mean uh, I kind of hate that I kind of hate that it that you know it it elevates you somewhat in you know you're treated with more respect Mm. or or, Mm. um, held in higher esteem because you have you know white blood in you that's 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 that's, that's like gross to me I don't know I really hate that Um, But it it certainly is true. Um.
7: Like, I grew up in um, Guangzhou, so, like, until I was five, so I only spoke Cantonese. And when um, other kids in the playground in China would say that I was, like, a white kid, I hated it. And I remember yelling back, I'm like, I am Chinese. Like, Mm. And I I think I just hated that othering in that space because I never really perceived myself as being anything other than Chinese. And so it was sort of that... I didn't like being treated differently. I hated the looks. I hated people asking if my mother was my nanny and all those Mm. sort of feelings or even just being treated like I was special when I just really wanted to just fit in.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, I mean, to touch on that as well, I guess, you know, occupying different spaces with different kinds of people, do you find yourself – I guess, chameleoning to an extent, if if that's even a word, based (laughs) on the social situation. Um, I know for you, Will, like, you know, you went to a selective school and the stereotype is, which is founded, in fact, I think most of the time, is that selective schools often have a higher proportion of Asian students as opposed to, let's say, a private school. Um, And I know that private school that you went to had predominantly a a white-based population. Would you find that you would act differently in these different social situations, you know, depending on whether you're with more Asians or with more white people, if I can say that? Were your actions contingent on the social situation that you were in?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I don't know whether it's because of, you know, being mixed race or if it's because of, um, you know, other factors in in, in my childhood. But yeah, I feel like um, as a general rule, like most mixed race people are like pretty great at like chameleoning do you, do yeah. use, is that, is, mm. do you use the word that you, <laughs> we'll you run know with like it. <laughs> we'll <laughs> run with
1: it well because um, like everyone does it in one form or another absolutely yeah. Yeah, I, yeah i mean yeah. like the primary thing is how you talk so code switching like the way yeah. you talk in one situation like to your parents or to an elder versus just your mates is already a completely different thing but i guess the analogy that i kind of use to describe this is you're a, if everyone was a video game character you know at the start of the game you can customize your character You can put in all these, you know, different suits of armor or the appearance. And I guess if you're half, you've kind of unlocked this other level where you can (laughs) almost like play two characters at the same time and, Mm. you know, use it for the best situation. And uh, I guess to reap the benefits of your two cultures. So I think it's, I think it's there and I think it's natural almost Mm. that people feel the need to switch between situations because if you do have that ability and it, somewhat benefits you you're probably going to do it consciously and both sub- like subconsciously as well i feel
6: yeah i'm, I'm a I'm, I'm very um i'm very guilty of that yeah. <laughs> i make the most of um both both halves of my ethnicity mm. <laughs> i think
0: how does that manifest though like is there any tangible example of how you would act differently around mm. let's say a group of asian people as opposed to a group of white people is it conscious
6: Oh, it's completely subconscious. Like, it's not something I consciously try to do. No. Um, but yeah, you definitely find yourself acting differently with different groups of people. I don't know. I find that I can hang out with, you know, Asian people and, you know, groups of white people um, quite comfortably and, and I switch between both. And, you know, I, I, there's, there's not that many white people who could hang out with a whole group of Asian people and, and vice versa. You mm. know? So, mm. And I'm, I'm sure yeah. they yes. don't
1: feel comfortable doing it as well to the same degree. Like no, the, yeah. the token white kid in the 80s. <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
6: yeah. it's not lame. So I, I think that's, it's, it's good, but it's also negative in a way that you don't 100% fit in with either group.
7: Yeah, it's almost like feeling a bit like a racial imposter. If I'm with Chinese people, I desperately kind of want to prove how Asian I am. Like Mm. talking about like my childhood experiences like, yes, I went to Uh, piano school. I went to Chinese school on the weekends. Like Mm. I didn't have a social life. I wasn't allowed out to parties. Um
1: And it's kind <laughs> of like, like... It's such a fighting feature <laughs> <laughs> of being oh, Asian that you just weren't allowed to Literally, play,
7: yeah. subtle Asian traits, like being able to say, yeah, I can I can relate to every one of these experiences,
1: <laughs> sure. That's the true metric for success. That's the true that is, metric. Yeah, yeah. Like, How many memes do you understand?
7: <laughs> <laughs> How much do I relate to subtle Asian traits? And um yeah, I think it is sort of, yeah, that feeling like I know for me, it's a bit more conscious. I'm a bit more conscious of doing that. Like when I am trying to fit in, I, I understand like what tone, what, how am I speaking? Am I using a different slang? It's that assimilating kind of process that we all do to some mm. that code switching. Yeah. Mm, um, yeah. but you know, I do feel like a bit like a tourist when I am back in China, which is a bit of a shame given that my accents change because I've assimilated to Australia mm. and I'm no longer, I don't feel as like I can, you know, fit in as much because mm. my language is a bit more broken. But it's mm. the same with my mum. Like, she doesn't really fit in anymore because she's a similar
1: age to Australia. Mm. Mm. Yeah, same. Whenever I go back, it's always a, oh, you can speak Chinese. It's, it's yeah. a pure surprise that someone yeah. who wasn't born in the country can speak it. So, yeah, definitely feel like an outsider can can definitely empathise with that. Mm.
6: So, so Jeff, I'm interested, like, ha, ha, like, for Jess, I guess it's because of, you know, your appearance is it doesn't look like fully like Chinese. But mm. Jeff, how do you think you how do they identify like so quickly <laughs> as a as someone they don't expect to be able to speak Chinese? I
1: think it's I think it's a couple of things. I think to some extent it is a visual mm. I probably don't dress like someone that's my age mm. back there. And yeah. it's an instant tell to oh he's probably like a foreigner, he's come from someplace else. But this feeds in well to the next question I had and I guess this was a question for you, Jess. Mm. up to the age of five you said you were in China mm. and obviously through that period you'd lived within the culture you did yep. the same things that other Chinese kids did and yeah uh, and but versus me who was born here for five years but technically I am completely Chinese mm. and so the question kind of comes into which one of us is more Chinese is it appearance <laughs> based or is it behaviour culture based because I think
0: that's interesting I would
1: love to think of it as that you were yeah. technically more Chinese than I was.
0: Yeah.
4: And
1: I, I wish the world could kind of look at it that way. But yeah. I think appearance is just such a strong indicator Absolutely. of who you are. And that's the that's the barrier that people can't get past.
7: Yeah. And I like that's I've had thoughts about it like when I was in primary school because I thought maybe I'd fit in a bit more when I arrived in Australia because, you know, I didn't really fit in physically in China. So when I came here and people were already looking at me as like something different as someone different or something different for their mm. matter. It was a bit surprising, but yeah, I, I definitely think of myself as really growing up with Chinese values and really East, like my mum didn't assimilate to Australia cause she wanted me to speak Cantonese and Mandarin. And I I think it is, it is something that I have to recognize that is a privilege at the same time with my whiteness to like fit and not have to be, you know, that sort of, um, to fit into certain spaces that my mum hasn't been able to crack into. It's the same with Will. Like, I don't, I do really enjoy being mixed race because I do have that experience where I can, you know, connect with my Spanish heritage as well. But in terms of, like, my Chinese heritage, I've grown up speaking Cantonese and Mandarin, and I wish in some ways people don't question that just because I physically Mm. don't resemble being Mm. Chinese and that my experience isn't being half. Like, it's not a matter of just being mixed race where you can only experience a culture on half. I felt like I fully immersed myself in Chinese, my Chinese ethnicity, where we like culturally and like learning poetry and experiencing oh, it, it shouldn't poetry. just be like, oh, did you ever do Levi?
1: Oh, oh, oh man, yeah. that's, oh, I can't, no, no, God, sorry, I cut you off, I just, it just triggered something in me, I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs>
7: Yeah, like I think my mum is so proud because she compares herself to myself and my sister to other ABCs, like Australian-born Chinese, and she always like tells people that like you know you're way more Chinese than them, and it's Mm, you are, and and I, I definitely am. Like you know, I think it's just that my values, my language. It's just a shame that's not people question it because of how I physically look. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, like just because I'm half doesn't mean I can only experience a background or culture in only half the way.
0: Do you find that this doubt that I guess people have in terms of questioning who you are comes from Asian people, like I guess people of Chinese descent, like more broadly, or is it main, or is it kind of white people, kind of bringing this seed of doubt whenever they ask this question?
7: Um, So I think in China, there's an understanding of mixed race kids and there's a lot of us like in Xinjiang and other places. So they don't really question as much. Like when you say that you're half Chinese and that you're a wang hui, a mixed blood kid, they understand that and they accept that. They're like, Mm -hmm. you can fully understand our culture. Um, So there's a bit more of an assimilating process there. But it's mainly in Australia where you're sort of the exception like, oh, racist rhetoric doesn't apply to you because you're only half like mm. or that. You can only experience mm. it because you're half like, yeah, I think they just I think it's mainly because they want to like especially friends or like in high school or people I was surrounding myself and they wanted to put an identity on me
1: mm. and I didn't
7: look like everyone else. So they couldn't mm. pigeonhole me in that way.
1: Yeah. Were well, those white or Asian kids who were mostly throwing those comments at you.
7: I think it was mainly white kids, you know, and maybe it was because they didn't want to have Asian friends so they could say that, like, you know, you're white, you're passing or it doesn't apply to you so they can still be racist. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's a lot of internalised racism from that period of time. But I went to a very white high school.
6: I I find that quite, like, surprising, Jess, that you say that because, like, I would have thought it would be almost the other way around. Yeah, me too. When you think about Australia, it's such a – you know, they, they love flogging this, but it's like it's a very diverse country. I love it. It's a, it's definitely the um this part of the sales pitch. Um whereas China is a much more of a, a monoculture. So like that 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 really surprises me that you that you that you found that um, yeah, yeah, really interesting.
7: But maybe it's also because my mum's from Guangzhou and that's close to Hong Kong. So there is a Mm. lot of like mixed race kids because of Mm. um, the history of Hong Kong and Guangzhou as well. So I think it also just depends where you are. But like like Australia as well, like our experiences have been completely different because of our high schools. Like I went to a predominantly white high school where there really wasn't a lot of other Asian kids, let alone half Asian kids as well.
0: I want to ask a question that kind of echoes what you touched on before, Jess, about values and different mm-hmm. value systems. And, you know, we often talk about these different kind of values that exist between the East and the West. You know, for example, piety is huge in the East where, you know, respect for elders is paramount, for example. And that doesn't really have the same kind of... I mean, that same respect isn't really adhered to in the West. Mm. Do you think... I mean, for both of you... Um, Do you find yourself aligning to a certain culture and by extension is this something that you would want to impart onto your kids you know
7: like I guess the Asian part of your identity? I think growing up it's already hard enough but when you add like whether racial identity makes it a little bit harder and complicated and so it's that sort of tug of war of an identity crisis growing up but I don't I think both my parents aren't really that stereotypical reflection of their value systems like they're Mm. pretty open to the fact that they're married outside their culture shows that they're quite open Mm. um but they focus more about the values that they both had so both my parents um are very much uh, the first generation um Australians so they were both racially they both had some sort of um, experienced racism. My dad came as only speaking Spanish and it was a very white Australia. My mum only spoke Chinese. So I think it was that sort of strong understanding of um, connection to family and responsibility to succeed so you can give back to your family. And I think, yeah, they both have made us, uh, my sister and I aware of the privilege we've uh, had in sort of existing speaking
6: English here. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I think I align with both. I'd probably just say it's 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 like everything right mm. it's just like a mix I'm gonna put you yeah. on the spot. i wouldn't I'm gonna put you on the spot if you had to choose one, which one would it be ah uh, <laughs> I think probably more aligned to the west i guess mm. um just because uh you know in addition to my parents um it was where I grew up, I guess growing up in Australia um has a you know big influence on my value system um but certainly, you know, there are some things that, that you know, you look at and, and you it, it gives gives you the ability to, I guess, uh, have another perspective on, on certain values and, and you, you, it makes you question them. So you, you take a look at something and you think, why do we do this the way we do it? Um, mm. I think dealing with coronavirus, that's probably like a really good, um, mm. interesting uh, mm. uh, uh, case study, I guess. Mm. Um, the way... A lot of uh eastern countries deal with coronavirus against um compared to to what's happening in the west it's uh it's fascinating
1: mm, yeah. yeah well that's like, a collective over the individual isn't it it's, uh, correct yeah correct. yeah everyone definitely cares about the greater good versus just themselves you know you definitely don't have people protesting in the middle yeah. of the pandemic saying that let us out i'm not going to wear a mask because it's uh, completely covering myself but that's actually not what i thought you were going to allude to in terms of uh, the coronavirus i was thinking more along the, the racism? lines of that yeah yeah in the early days when coronavirus came everyone called it the china mm. virus. like did you guys have any anecdotes about that like, yeah did you find yourself just being no 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 i'm you know i'm a bit more white you know that's it
7: that's
4: was not me
1: yeah you know, separation it was
7: definitely my experience um in japan so i was in china when the coronavirus broke out oh shit and yeah so i left china on chinese new year which was really sad because i would have loved a bit more red pocket money but that's all right. Um, had to do what you got to do to not get coronavirus. True, so, true, it true. trivializing it. but So, we left. We kind of yeeted out and went to Japan. And when I was in Japan, a department store manager was just talking about how none of his staff wanted to serve Chinese customers um, because they were worried about the fact that they had coronavirus. And that really unsettled me because just because of my physical appearance, they couldn't tell that I was Chinese, that my, that I spoke Cantonese or Mandarin, or that I culturally identified with China. China. And, and I could get away with the fact that I had just gone to China. Like no one would question that. They would just mm. assume that I was a foreigner who just came from Australia. Whereas there are probably Chinese people in Japan who have never gone back and they were being racially abused or discriminated against because of how they looked. And I think that just really made, it was an example of like, what like racism in such an explicit way against Chinese people Mm. and just how much privilege I had in that space where I could assimilate Mm. and no one would even think about asking if I was from China
6: Mm. That, that that's one of the interesting things I think right it's like um even if you might sort of identify with China or with yeah with China I guess um your appearance matters so much. It's how yeah. people perceive you. And Absolutely. so y- y- you receive a lot of privilege just through looking a certain way um, mm. because that's the first impression people get of you, right? Yeah. Not not, not it, They don't ask you, um, you know, yeah. do you identify with China? <laughs> no. Then they take a look at you and they see... <laughs> well, they might um, go back to China. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do, yeah.
6: Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's fascinating. I love yeah. Mao. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I mean, to touch on that, is this something you feel guilty about or I guess is there a level of you know I guess benefiting from white privilege that makes you feel a bit uneasy to an extent I think you've kind of both touched on this feeling yeah I mean how do you kind of go about
7: dealing with that I thought I actually responded with anger like I was so angry that because of my appearance people treated me differently or it's Mm -hmm. the same with that you touched on before Will about sort of that unease because you're half white that people treat you differently Mm. or that they see you in a higher position that like, you know, it's kind of cute that I'm half Chinese and half, uh, you know, Spanish. That's, that's exotic and nice, but in a good way. So I responded to that experience being really angry and like talking to my mum about it, how angry I was and on behalf of like her. And if she was in that position, I'd hate to see her being, you know, like having to deal with racism. And yeah. So I think it's just, it shines a light on how much progress we still have to do, mm. to make mm. in this space. Mm.
0: Mm. And that, that rhetoric of like, oh, you know, like half your babies are like the cutest.
7: Oh, my
6: babies. God. Why is
7: everyone you know? interested in what my baby's going to look like?
6: like <laughs>
7: yeah. It's
6: everyone's business what your babies are going to look like. Isn't yeah. it? That's actually so true. I had it's actually so thought about that
7: true. Yeah. Everyone yeah. looks at Tom and me and they're like, oh, what's your baby going to look like?
0: Yes. Yes. like mm.
6: stop. It's such a
7: thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Like, oh. Across the board, actually, with so many different like ethnicities, especially yeah. you know black people as well, right? Like oh. a black and an Asian baby is like, ooh, like, yeah. you know what mm. I mean? Like
7: they're so problematic. No. <laughs> oh my god, I've had people tell me, please get with a black person, your kid is gonna be so hot. And I was oh. like, Oh, just oh, stop, nice. <laughs> please stop. <laughs> oh yeah that's not great. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, okay. Just to just to pivot a bit from that, I guess you were saying, Jess, that there's still a lot of work to do. And yeah. I think it's a pretty safe assumption to say that when our generation has kids, the proportion of a mixed race people is going to increase a lot because that obviously with a lot of immigration that's occurred and, you know, a lot of metropolitan cities being a pretty multicultural. Do you think these issues will persist or is there going to be because there is a larger proportion of mixed race kids? There is going to be a stronger dialogue uh, about these issues.
7: I don't It's interesting because, like, in Japan, like, they have a, a lot of halfies, but
1: mm. they're not really –
7: they don't really assimilate in. Like it's still a very much a homogenous culture and by and large. Mm. Mm. So I think it'd be interesting just to see how Australia's racial identity changes and whether we embrace this new globalized society. It's interesting when they talk about like what the future of humanity is gonna look like, they always put a picture of a halfie on there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) thanks for telling me I only exist in the future. Like I'm here now, Like, what do you expect from me? <laughs> um so i think it depends i think we need more media representation we need mm-hmm. yeah. like our our systems are still very white so ho- i'm hopeful that mm. things will change.
1: Yeah. No, but
7: fun. I do like that the world is becoming a bit more woke because I'm really getting a lot less questions about what are you. It's more like, where are your parents from? Which is mm. really a nice improvement, you know?
6: Mm. So just, yeah. just just figure out how to phrase that <laughs> question, you know? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. all we ask, you know? Just, just, just try, and, mm. try and do a little bit better with phrasing that mm. question. If you
7: you're it. thinking yeah. of starting the, the question with what, maybe ask, like, what is your favorite color? Instead mm. of what are
6: you? <laughs>
1: Or well, yeah, <laughs> I think I think it life. falls into two sides. I think number one, people are really afraid to offend, um, which yeah. I don't think mm. is necessarily the best thing. I, just a bit of advice: if you're not sure how to ask, then ask. How to ask? Oh. I think a lot of the time it's just the way that it's asked. It's this uh, what it's it's quite a, it's quite aggressive and. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't mind if people want to know, and I think people shouldn't be scared to ask if they're genuinely curious. I think a lot of the time it's just the manner in which it's asked, and uh, I guess the lack of thought sometimes, and in, mm. uh, in how they're sort of presenting themselves in that question. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think it's I think it's completely okay to ask, mm.
6: and or, or I think the other the other factor there is like how long have they like known you? Have they just met you? And like the yeah. second question out of their mouth is like, oh, what are you? Mm. you know? yeah. like, oh. That's the worst. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. No, I got that all the time, especially when I was uh, traveling in Central America, like you go to a hostel and it's very common practice. The first thing you ask someone is, you know, where, where are you from? Because this is a, you want to know what country they are. Is there any sort of mutual talking points that we can, we can collaborate on? Yeah. But the worst thing is when I say I'm from Australia, like I have a thick, pretty bogan accent that I'm not in love with. The this, the follow-up question is always the the fucking fabled where are you really from? And that, that always gets me a little bit. And oh, someone actually told man. me one time that no, you're not Australian, you're Chinese, and I was going to fight with it. Oh but my God. that's a story oh. that's a story for another time. And yeah, don't don't ask that folks.
7: Um, Will, I'm just curious, like, do you feel comfortable like how do you introduce yourself? Do you use mixed race or do you say I'm a halfie like or do you just say that you're biracial what's the politically correct way or a way that you feel comfortable
6: yeah well like to be honest I don't even know I, I think I, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm so used to people putting labels on me that I don't, yeah. I don't really know what I'm comfortable or not comfortable with I think m- most things are I'm pretty fine with
1: I would love to propose a thought experiment and I don't know if this gives you a little insight into what I was like as a child but this is obviously not ethical, and please, please no one try this. What would happen if you had one person from every nationality from across the world and somehow through several centuries, I would imagine, uh, there was a a bit of uh, I guess internationality mingling and by the end of that entire process, you had an individual who was had blood from every single country from across the world. what would they look like?
6: I think like I think that like Nat Geo have done like a have actually done something like this. It's really weird. I mean this is a weird like I mean you could but like I mean you could, right? Yeah, well it's totally like unethical, right? Like obviously. But um Yeah. But yeah, you do end up with some face that looks like Jess's (laughs) or mine, I guess, right? But But, like
7: academics and scientists have like I think they've proven that like uh, race isn't really it doesn't really exist in a biological or genetic sense. Like Um, Mm. You know, that evidence of, like, blood and, like, what it exists in racial groups um, and, you know, that variation between racial groups isn't so much there. It's more defined, in my understandings, as, like, a social construct Mm. or, like, you know, the idea of, like, race blood and, like, putting all the blood together. is very much all that cultural authenticity in blood. I don't know. It's Mm. very much socially constructed. So... Mm. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see what, it, um, you know, if you mix a few people who look a bit differently <laughs> together. But I think, you know, I mean, I would like to know how they would identify with themselves and their identity. That would be a their very bi- confusing
1: upbringing. Very mm. confusing upbringing, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like
6: um, it's like that question of nature versus nurture, right? Like how much of, you know, quote-unquote race mm. is like something that is... Um, genetic or like part of your DNA mm. versus how much of it is totally like just a social mm.
4: construct. A social construct, mm. I guess. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Or part
6: of your upbringing or how you were raised. Um, yeah. Really interesting.
0: Mm. Just to pivot slightly, Jeff and I had a conversation recently about how often in Asian families, there's this expectation, this desire for you to eventually end up and, you know, be with someone who is of your own kind. And I think a lot of that stems from this idea of preserving, you know, your family cultures and traditions. And we've talked about this notion of, you know, as, you know, Australia is becoming more multicultural and there's like more mixed race relationships, is there this possibility of your ethnicity being diluted, you know, through your children and then your grandchildren and consequently after that. Do you guys think that this is something that you have thought about and I guess how you would kind of... Like what kind of teachings would you impart onto your children? You know, Would you want to retain, let's say for you, Jess, for example, your Chinese ethnicity, your Chinese traditions, the language, and same as you will, you know, is this like Lunar New Year? Is that something that you would want to continue within your family? Because obviously that is a huge part of your identity, for example. And I guess fears about that getting diluted at some point and I guess how the mixed race experience feeds into that.
6: We come from a background where... Perhaps not as much um, emphasis is put on that as potentially your family, Isabella or your family Jeff, mm. purely from a perspective of you know my mum has taken the plunge and and my dad have both taken the plunge to um, marry outside of their um, cultural background mm. right mm. and so there is like you know by, by by nature there's less emphasis on that i I, I expect than than you mm. um, or, or jeff would would probably face within your families.
7: Mm. Yeah, I don't know about, like, the word diluted because, like, I still feel like Mm. I've had a full sense of a Chinese background. Mm. I think it's just sort of the only dilution is my physical looks in some ways. But Mm. in terms of experience the culture, like, I know if I were to have children, my mum would be speaking Cantonese to them and I would send them to Chinese school. And I think Mm. cultural, like, that sense of family is very much through culture and Mm. I don't want them to miss out on that experience. And, you know, that's – it's – when my – family in China met my partner, who's white. The first thing they asked him is like, oh, can you speak Cantonese or Mandarin? Or <laughs> is he learning? Is he? And like, you know, just those small things. I think it's really important to sort of bond with your family and have that connection mm-hmm. to culture.
6: I agree with that to, to an extent, but I think that like, it's almost, um, it's kind of inevitable that, that you 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 won't be able to retain every single part of your, your culture, you know, just by, you know, even by, by the fact of like where you're living, right? Like, yeah, that's true. It's not exactly, um, it's not as feasible to, to celebrate Lunar New Year in, in the, you know, <laughs> like you're back in China, uh, in Australia. I'm like, maybe, maybe Lunar New is a bad example, but you know, smaller holidays yeah. or, or, mm. or different cultures and traditions, you, you just won't, you can try very hard mm. but you just cannot replicate the same experience of, of growing up, you know growing up back in back in China or, yeah. or wherever. Mm. Yeah.
0: Like for example, you know, my dad has like nine siblings mm. and half of his siblings so like, the sisters, they most of them married Westerners. Yeah, so this like is so n- weird. <laughs> Yeah. So so my family is like huge. And there's one side that's like completely Vietnamese. Like all the men married Vietnamese women. So then that was including my dad. And so all the children and everyone on that side is Vietnamese. But the other side, because um, most of my dad's sisters married and, you know, ended up having children with a lot of Australian men and, like, Western men, a lot of their children are halfies. Mm. But then they've kind of... But these, I guess, my cousins who are mixed race have gone and married other Western and Australian men. And Mm. their children now are, what, a quarter Vietnamese? And you know, sometimes at family gatherings, <laughs> I would see these kids, and I just cannot recognize them. And like, I just don't like, I can't. Like, it's weird for me to think that like they're family, mm-hmm. even though like they technically are mm. very much the same family as like my like you know my my first cousin. But I think you know this. We're going back to this idea of like optics and like what we perceive as Asian and not Asian. Mm. And I think it's so interesting because they ostensibly look super white and not Vietnamese at all, but they. You know, they arguably could have, you know, been celebrating the same traditions I
7: have Mm. as a quarter Vietnamese. I think it goes with the otherness thing because it's like even in family gatherings of my Spanish side, I don't really look like them. So we kind of stuck out with like hanging out with my cousins, someone who were blonde and, you know, very Spanish looking and even sticking out to my Chinese relatives because I'm a lot taller and I don't fit into Chinese clothing or my shoe size is a bit larger. Um, so there's that feeling of even in your family context not physically looking like either
0: this has been such a delight to sit down with you both and genuinely been such an insightful conversation i have learned a lot and i hope you guys did too so jeff and i just really want to say mm. a thank, thank yous. you and yeah we really hope you guys had a great time as much as we did
6: no thank you guys it's been a been a lot of fun talking to you thank you Thank you, uh, Jess
1: and Penny. And thanks for everyone for listening in. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by clicking the subscribe or follow button. and Give us five stars. I really appreciate that and be a huge help. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one.
4: Bye.